0: Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is episode number 148, which you can find at mariehaynes.com/slash newsletter. There's a print version of this online, although usually I vary quite a bit from the print version. We've had a bunch of people ask us lately if we could transcribe the podcast, uh, which is really, really funny to me because the podcast was the voice version of the written newsletter. Um, and so we're not gonna transcribe it just because. There's, there's too much already on our plates, um, but thank you to all of you who have asked. I'm, I'm really blown away at the uh, increased interest in podcasts lately, so I'm going to do my best to give you the uh, Google news that you need to know and um, you know uh, help you figure out what Google's doing uh, recently. Um, so this is being recorded on Wednesday, September 2nd of 2020. We're going to talk about a possible update. There was something unusual that seems to have happened on August 24th. Uh, we've pulled out some really interesting stuff from the latest search off the record, which is Google's new podcast. Um, and I'm going to talk a bit about Moz's title tag experiments. I think they're quite interesting. So we've got other stuff that we're going to discuss in this podcast as well. Uh, so let's start off with this possible update. August 24th of 2020 was a day on which quite a few sites that we monitor saw um, increases and yes some sites that we monitor saw decreases as well thankfully we had way more increases than decreases Um, and so when we first started to look at this whenever we have one particular date in which a lot of sites saw movement, it usually means that Google has changed something. Not always, Uh, if your site saw changes in March of this year, March 10th, is a day in which almost every site that we monitor saw some type of a change. The vast majority of those sites saw decreases because what happened on that date was that the World Health Organization declared coronavirus to be a pandemic situation, and so people stopped going out. People were in lockdown and, and the world changed their buying habits their search behaviors we we changed so much Um, and so uh, March 10th was a day in which we can say yeah yeah this This day, a lot of sites traffic changed because of what's happening in the world. Uh, I don't think that's the case with uh, with August 24th. I think that Google did change something. Something that uh, we noticed is that um, the sites that saw changes did not see these changes reflected in Bing as well for what we can see. And so This tells us that probably there was some type of an update on Google's side. What's interesting though is that it doesn't look like a core update. Um, a core update, we tend to see that if sites are affected, it's usually across the board. Like we see, oh, there's a 35% increase on your you know, your main page in terms of traffic, and the rest of the pages on your site uh, are seeing similar 30 to 35% increases as well, um, or decreases if that's the way it is. Uh, and in this case, it seemed like it was individual pages that were getting either boosts or not doing well. And we had some sites where overall their organic traffic was up, but uh, but certain pages had massive declines. Uh, and so this was a really interesting thing to analyze. Um, I've spent quite a bit of time looking at this. And if you're a premium subscriber of newsletter, you'll see my notes and some screenshots uh, showing what we're seeing with some clients uh, in newsletter. Again, uh, episode number 148, you can get there by going to mariehaines.com newsletter. And what we noticed was that there seems to be changes in featured snippets and other SERP features. So uh, one of the sites that we talked about saw massive increases on one page that has been ranking uh, approximately position number six on the first page for months and months now. And um, In August 24th, it looks like they jumped in to uh, grab the featured snippet, uh, putting them at position, I don't know if you want to call it zero or one, but they're the first site that everybody sees when they do this, and it's a very, very popular query, Uh, and that skyrocketed their traffic for that one particular page. And We have other uh, sites that, yes, they want featured snippet and saw big improvements Uh, and we have some sites some of the sites that declined it's not that they lost featured snippets but they lost other SERP features Um, one of our clients who saw declines they were featured prominently uh, for one page in the people also ask section and uh, and then they seem to have lost that on August 24th. Uh, I uh, did all this analysis using SEMrush, which I'm going to explain to you in a little bit how we did that. Uh, but if uh, you know, I think what's happening with August 24th is Google's made some changes in how they determine which sites are uh, getting the featured snippet or getting the people also ask boxes that's not unusual though, uh, Google has told us right from the beginning when we first started talking about featured snippets, that they're constantly working on this algorithm. And I have articles, I think my very first newsletter episode, uh, what we did was put out a challenge to say, look, here's some ways that you can win featured snippets. And you can find that if you just search for my name plus featured snippets. Uh, you should find uh, my advice back two years ago, or actually, gosh, two years ago, it was way longer than that, many years ago. Um, on. how to win featured snippets and most of that is still the same but there's a lot that we don't know and so it would be fun to really analyze which pages jumped into the featured snippets and what features do they have features probably the wrong word but uh, what do they do they have better heading structure Um, are they uh, tending to use lists and maybe Google wants to feature a list in the featured snippet so there's things that um, you know Google is changing all the time to figure out what are the sites that we want to feature Prominently in these in these uh, SERP features. And um, so that's what we think has happened on August 24th. Now I could be completely wrong about this because uh, pages drop in and out of uh, featured snippet uh, spots and people also asks all the time, but it did seem like an interesting observation that the majority of sites that we monitor, that we manually checked, we could see that the keywords that were soaring or uh, had declined were ones that previously, you know, that, that there was a SERP feature involved in that somehow. So keep that in mind. If you or if your traffic has changed dramatically on August 24th then uh, feel free to reach out to me. Probably the best way to do this is to reach out to the MHC underscore Inc Twitter account, um, which is run by Summer, our social media lead. And Summer will uh, make sure that I see these um, these responses. Uh, so if your site uh, saw drops or you think it's connected to these featured snippet changes, people also ask, things like that. I'm interested in taking a look at that. I can't promise you, because I have a lot of people that reach out to me and, and want me to look at their site, but uh, Uh, But I may be able to take a look and see if that fits with our theory. So I'll probably have more on that next week. Again, we've got way more information in the premium section of our newsletter, uh, which um, uh, I think you'll find very, very interesting. Let's talk about the most recent Search Off the Record podcast. This is kind of meta of me podcasting a a summary of their podcast. Uh, But uh, as you know, this Search Off the Record podcast is a conversation between Google's John Mueller, Gary E. And Martin Split. And they discussed some really, really interesting things. I, I thought this was a really fantastic episode. Um, among the topics discussed was the two waves of indexing metaphor that Google gave us a few years back to help explain how rendering works. They addressed the misunderstanding that's come from this metaphor, and people, I think, are taking it a little bit too literally. So, Martin Split said that in nearly 100% of cases, a website gets crawled by Google and then it gets rendered, and then it gets indexed. And he goes on to say that there's certain rare situations where this isn't true, like when rendering fails, or if there's other signals that like Googlebot's picking up. Uh, but he said, quote, practically every website gets rendered before it gets indexed. Uh, and so people were getting all uh, hung up on the two waves prior. Maybe I'm one of the people getting hung up on this because my uh, theory was that um, when Google had Issues on, uh, what was the date now? August 10th, I think it was. There was there were dates earlier this month um, where Google had some type of an outage and they said something went wrong in this whole system where they index sites. And my theory is that Google, um, uh, the part that sort of uh, determines whether to suppress sites for quality issues, which I know is a gross uh, oversimplification, but something broke in uh, spam in their ability to suppress spam when this happened. And so uh, I don't know that I specifically called it two waves, uh, but it's interesting to know that that's the way that Google uh, tends to work for almost every site, that they 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 figure out your pages, they render them, um, and then after they've rendered them, they add them to the index. Uh, and so this sort of led to a discussion that we talked about a bit last week about Google Sandbox and whether that exists or not. And, uh, you know, Gary, Ish, and Google, they, they've said in the past that Google does not have a sandbox, and Gary even reiterated it uh, after this podcast episode was released. The gist of it, though, is that when a site's new, Google has to make some assumptions about it, which may or may not turn out to be true over time. And compared to, uh, and and as for the sandbox theory, Gary mentions in the podcast that Google used to have a batched based indexing system, which ultimately meant that their index needed to be rebuilt every single month. Um, And because this only happened once a month, if your website went live right after their latest version of the index was built, you'd have to wait until the next month for any of it to be indexed. Now, I don't know if that completely describes the sandbox theory, uh, because I've seen people say that it takes months and months. I remember back when I first started in SEO, people would talk about, sandbox and how it could be 6 to 12 months before Google released you from the sandbox, uh, which doesn't completely line up with this theory, but uh, Google has said many times that there isn't a sandbox, but it totally makes sense that they have to gather information. I'm just thinking about this as I'm recording this. This could, in recent years, be connected to EAT. Let's say you're trying to rank a website in a YMYL vertical, and Google comes along and says, oh, here's this new health Site, they, they need to gather information to know that they can trust this site. They need to figure out all the entity information to say that... Um, Um, you know the person who wrote this content uh, is somebody who is seen as an expert in this area and there's nothing uh, untrustworthy they haven't uh, referenced you know uh, articles that nobody trusts there's uh, they're not talking against scientific consensus Google has to make a lot of assessments on pages and I would imagine that some of these take a fair amount of time and so if you're trying to rank a YMYL site uh, it could take a while before Google figures out what your entity situation's like, and whether they can trust your website, whether you're a legitimate business as opposed to, you know, one that's just trying to to scam a bunch of people. Uh, so to me, I think that's what the sandbox is. It's just Google gathering signals, trying to figure out where. To rank your website Uh, so it's not uncommon to have a website that doesn't rank for a while and then uh, all of a sudden it can just start to 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 gain more and more traction and and get into top page rankings so if you've launched a new site and you're struggling that's normal Uh, I don't think it's Google saying oh this is a brand new site and so we are not going to allow it to rank for anything uh, you know until six months from now like I, I don't think it works that way they also talked in this podcast a little bit about crawl budget. Nothing new here. Uh, Gary estimates that generally speaking, the baseline for where you have to worry about crawl budget is around a million URLs. So if you have a website with fewer than a million URLs, you probably don't need to worry about crawl budget. If you have more than that though, here's, uh, I, I'm gonna read this from our newsletter. Uh, this There's a system called scheduling. Which tries to estimate which pages need to be recrawled and which sections of a website need to be discovered. And that's called the discovery crawl, where Googlebot will hop from URL to URL and push pages to indexing. So essentially the crawl scheduler instructs Googlebot on when and what to crawl. And because Google has enough crawl capacity to essentially crash parts of the internet, they try to strike this balance between discovering and indexing content promptly and slowly enough to be able to recognize back off signals from the website. So if your website's uh, all of a sudden spitting out you know, 500 status codes or, or things that are, if Google crawling your website is slowing it down, Google doesn't want to do that, and so they may back off a little bit from crawling. Uh, very, very interesting stuff. Uh, I don't think it really changes too much in anybody's SEO workflow, but I thought that was really interesting to uh, to, to read about. Um, Google announced that they are starting to use a new system for reporting bugs, uh, and this initially is going to be offered only with sites that Google has flagged as having security issues. So if you go into Search Console and there's a tab for manual actions and security, if you have a security issue, there will be a, um, a button there now that you can report a bug. And a bug, uh, the way I understand it, I think what Google is saying is, uh, let's say that they false, falsely reported you as being hacked, um, or you know, a false positive, or something is just not right, then uh, you can report that back to Google and say, no, no, this is the situation. Um, it sort of sounds like Google's implying that if this works well, uh, that they'll allow it for other things as well. Um, I don't know how that would work though. I mean, it would be wonderful to have a button that says, hey, I think you've messed up our rankings. <laughs> um, I don't think that uh, we'd get very actionable advice back from Google though if they if they did that. Uh, but if you do have been flagged for having a security issue, a manual action, I'm not sure about a manual action, but a malware issue, then um, then you can use this button if you think that it's uh, given been given to you incorrectly. Uh, Google also announced this week that they're introducing licensing badges for images So um, Google Images, they've partnered with certain stock image providers uh, and other art creators uh, to basically make it so that now um, when you see images on Google image search, uh, they'll display a tag that says whether the image is licensable. Uh, And that I think is helpful for people who are um, using images for commercial use and you really only want to use images that you can buy the license for. Um, This will also allow uh, us to do Creative Commons searches. I remember doing this many years ago when I was first creating websites and you could go on Flickr, which I think at the time was probably one of the biggest photo uh, uh, websites. And it was very easy to find uh, uh, creative Commons licenses. That's what it is. and so we, you were very easily able to find images that had this license that basically said anybody can use this. Uh, in a lot of cases, they wanted an attribution to the original um, publisher of the image, but they were images that you didn't have to pay for in order to use. Uh, and so that's going to be changing. And uh, I don't know really the, if this will have a drastic impact on SEO at all, but um, if you are involved in image search, this is something really to pay attention to. Uh, Let's talk about the SEMrush tip of the week, and I'm laughing here because there's been a constant uh, discussion on how you say SEMrush or SEMrush, and I'm I'm laughing because I always said SEMrush. And then I went to uh, an event sponsored by <laughs> SEMrush, and they did this really cool thing. I don't know if you've seen this video, but they asked pretty much everybody at the event, "How do you say our brand's name?" Um, and so I, I want to—I don't know if this is going to work here, but I'm going to try to actually play for you some of the uh, uh, the clips from um, people who are trying to say this brand's name. I say semrush. 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 sem-rush. Ah, well, uh, I I say semrush, but I think that's more of a European uh, way. Don't don't Americans say semrush? Now, he said, don't Americans say semrush? And the next person that they show is not an American. She's a Canadian. I mostly say SEMrush. That was me. I mostly say SEMrush. And then at that conference, uh, or at that event, there was somebody from SEMrush who continually used the word SEMrush. And I said, I've been saying it wrong. Uh, And so for a couple years now, I've said SEMrush. They very politely reached out to me and said, by the way, it's SEMrush. So if you're wondering, this is how they want us to pronounce it, is SEMrush. So let's talk about the SEMrush tip of the week. in one previous episode of our newsletter we talked about how to see if you had one few uh, one more people also ask boxes and that's something you can see very very easily on semrush um when we were analyzing the whatever happened on august 24th then i used semrush to discover which keywords for clients had won or lost SERP features and you can do this for individual urls or for the entire site as a whole Um, we've written out in newsletter again episode number 148 how to do this along with some screenshots Uh, but it's really cool you can put in one particular url from either your site a client's site a competitor's site or you can look at the entire domain and, uh, and then in the organic search, search section of SEMrush, you'll see um, the keywords and little icons to tell you whether your keyword is ranking in the featured snippet, in the people also ask, images, um, other things like that. And so what we like to do is take screenshots showing, all right, here are the top keywords that are bringing traffic to this URL and here's the SERP features that SEMrush has noted for this particular page that you've won or in some cases it'll show you the SERP features that are on the SERP that you haven't won so one of the examples we had in our newsletter was a particular keyword where our client won the featured snippet but they're not in the people also ask boxes so what's also a really cool thing to do then is to Put the date back and certain plans in semrush allow you to look at historical data and i can see oh look at this back uh, a month ago you didn't own the featured snippet and now you do and this is really hard to see in search console it's it's tricky there are ways that you can kind of get some information about featured snippets but uh, i've really found it helpful to use semrush for this And so uh, what we realized, this is how we realized with August 24th that, wow, it really does look like for the pages that we're seeing massive increases on, I think we can attribute those increases to uh, the site suddenly jumping into a featured snippet position, or in some cases, people also ask. Uh, Because we could see with SEMrush's historical data that they didn't own that featured snippet the month before. Now, um, if you're interested in trying this out for your own site, uh, as we have been doing for the last few weeks, We've offered a, um, a free trial for SEMrush that you can go to mariehaines.com SEMrush, all one word. I mean, it would be much easier if I just said slash SEMrush, but that's the way things are. I'm just kidding. Um, so mariehaines.com SEMrush, and uh, you can get uh, the latest promo code to try this out for yourself. Uh, Let's talk about Moz's experiment here with title tags. This was an article that was published by Cyrus Shepard, and every time Cyrus publishes something, I pay attention because he uh, has incredible insight into what works for SEO, uh, into what seems to be the trend in SEO, and what Google seems to be rewarding. And uh, this experiment, what they did was they looked at their Whiteboard Friday pages. Most of you probably know that Moz uh, has these whiteboard Fridays, which are every Friday they do um, uh, an educational video, basically. Uh, i've I've uh, I think I've done two whiteboard Fridays now. Um, and they're they're a lot of fun to record. I don't know if you know this, but when you record a whiteboard Friday at Moz, it has to be done in all one take. they They don't cut it at all. And so the very first time I recorded one, i I was super nervous and I got the whole thing done in like perfect time. And it was, it, it was perfect. It was everything I wanted it to be. And then uh, the video editor said, oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot to tell you. Uh, I wanted you to say at the end, please leave a comment below. And, uh, and so I had to record the whole thing over again. because. Um, so so kudos to all of those people who have done Whiteboard Fridays because uh, it, it's challenging. But they're great, great content. Now Maz's Whiteboard Friday uh, is a category on Moz's page. And so they did an experiment where they actually removed the words whiteboard Friday from each of their title tags and this actually makes sense uh, because you know you put things in your title tag because you want to rank for those uh, there, are other, there are other reasons I mean there's reasons to uh, to say well here's what this page is about um, but if I'm searching for uh, the whiteboard Friday that talked about unnatural links it, it, Google doesn't need more information to figure out, oh, this is the Whiteboard Friday. Like they know that those pages on Moz are related to that search that I just did. Um, and so I guess the idea from Moz was, well, you know what, let's let's save the title real estate because the keywords in your title tag, we still do believe that this is a very strong signal for Google. Um, and so they said, you know, I think these words are just taking up wasted space. And they removed the words Whiteboard Friday uh, and saw an increase Uh, They saw an a 20% uplift in organic traffic to these pages and this was with a B testing So that was really really interesting now um, Then they went further and they tried removing the brand's name from the title tag So from pages and I believe this was across their site uh, But I could be wrong on this that they removed the word Moz from the title tag again is that going? I, you know, I don't know if that would be just the same as removing Whiteboard Friday. Because when I see a URL in the SERPs and I see it's from Moz there's already this level of trust or or recognition, right? Like, I know, oh, okay, this is the type of content I get on Moz. I know that if I go there, I'm gonna see an article and I'm gonna see comments and I'm gonna see, like I know the layout of it because I'm used to uh, engaging with this brand. And so um, removing Moz from the title tag, I'm sure, I mean, people still see it in the URL when Google displays the URL. Uh, but I think it could have a negative effect because uh, I think some people click on certain title tags because they go, "Oh yes, this is from a website that I know, that I recognize, that I trust." Um, and so when they removed Moz from the title tag, they actually saw a four percent loss in uh, in traffic that came from those URLs now uh, that's really interesting and I think it's possible that it could be that they they got less clicks because people didn't recognize this came from Moz but also one thing I noticed was that um, unfortunately the date on which the clicks the the the, the thing happened <laughs> that they made the changes was January 14th of 2020 and that was the date of a significant core Google update and so it's hard to say uh, whether um, You know, whether uh, the changes caused the result or whether the Google update caused the result. But still, the main point that I want to make from this is not for us to say, oh, Moz says we need to remove our brand name from all of our title tags. That's the last thing that I'm recommending here. Uh, Rather, what I'm recommending is that you do some testing. And I really like how they did A-B testing. You know, you come up with a theory and say, well, we think that if we do this, it will help our pages rank better. And then you can A-B test and determine, uh, yeah, you know, the pages that we made this change on, they actually did better. And then you can roll that change out site-wide. So I really would encourage you to read the Moz article. I've I've grossly um, just summarized it as opposed to to giving you all of the information. Uh, So that's a really good read if you want to head over there um new information or maybe a reminder on information for affiliate sites uh john Mueller said in a recent help hangout that google is very good at recognizing which sites are affiliate and being able to treat on-site links as no followed regardless of whether they're actually marked as no followed or not so for example um if you had a website that say reviewed uh i don't know reviewed different types of software um, and then you link out to each of those software providers with an affiliate link that will pay you a commission if they make a sale when somebody clicks on one of those links. Um, and so if those links are, those links should be no followed links because they're there, uh, you know, they're, they're not there really because you're making recommendations, unbiased recommendations. You're making recommendations based on, uh, part of the basis is that you're actually going to get some money if uh, somebody converts after clicking on one of your links. So this is something that Google has said for many, many years. Um, I, I found, and it was actually 2012, a quote from Matt Cutts. So this is eight years ago. He said, we handle the vast majority of affiliate stuff correctly Because if it's a large enough affiliate network, we know about it and we handle it on our side. Even though we handle, I believe, the vast majority of affiliate links appropriately, if you are at all worried about it, I would go ahead and just add the no follow because you might be earning money from that. The idea is if there's a link that causes you to earn money, if people click on it, then that's a link that should not be a followed link that's not a link that should pass page rank uh, because if it does so then it's more likely to improve the rankings of the site that's receiving the link and google only wants to do that when you're making unbiased recommendations maybe unbiased is not uh, the right word but you're in this case you're making a recommendation because you could make money from it um you know i i thought it was really interesting i remember reading this back in 2012 because at the time I was investigating an affiliate program for a website that I was running, and I remember signing up for, uh, I believe it was called Post Affiliate Pro. I don't know if they're still um, one of the main players or not. I don't do a lot of affiliate work on my own websites now. I do do some. Uh, Post Affiliate Pro, one of the selling points of this uh, this tool that you could use is that you could um, structure the anchor text of the links that you would give to your affiliates. And so the idea um, was, and I I think I was doing this for my veterinary site at the time, and the idea was that uh, if I had an affiliate program, I could give you this code and it would link back with a keyword that I wanted to rank for, like online veterinary advice or something like that. Um, And so people who were publishing my affiliate link, they're mostly publishing it because, hey, I don't know, I might make some money if somebody clicks on this link and buys a product on this website. But really, those links should not be contributing towards my page rank. Um, But in reality, if I chose that plugin, I think I used it for a short period of time and then I got a little bit antsy about uh, the affiliate links being all keyword anchored. I can't remember if it helped my rankings or not. And remember, this was like eight years ago and things have changed a lot. So the point that I'm trying to make here is even eight years ago, Google said they were very, very good at determining if a link was affiliate. I've heard people say, well, no wonder Amazon ranks for things because all of Amazon's affiliates are linking back to them. And a good number of those use followed links, even though they shouldn't. Uh, But I believe that it's very easy for Google to determine whether a link pointing to Amazon is part of their affiliate program, um, there are there are um, it's right in the URL. Uh, you know the the features that um, make it uh, an affiliate link. So, um, you know, what changes here, we've been saying for a while now that uh, you need to no follow links that go out uh, to affiliate products. We also have been saying, and this is something that uh, we wrote about, I think it was in our article on the January core update um, that's available for for everybody to read. It's not just premium uh, subscriber content, you can find it on our website, that um, we noted that a lot of sites that saw declines uh, with the January core update were sites that had affiliate content where it wasn't clear. I'm not necessarily saying, like, they might have been no-followed links, but the average reader doesn't know that that's a no-followed link. And so they had links pointing out to affiliate content without being clear that, hey, we're, we're giving you this link because we might make some money if you click on it. Uh, I'm not going to go into more details on that, but if you run an affiliate site, I'd encourage you to read that article on the January 2020 core update um, because one thing we don't know is whether... If Google sees that you have a lot of affiliate content and you're not disclosing to users that this is potentially sponsored content or content that could make you money should they click on the link, if Google sees that, then that could be something that they see as a sign of lower quality. Uh, And if you saw drops with the January core update, Uh, you know we have had some clients that have seen improvements after making it way more clear that those are affiliate links but I do have to say that I don't think I've had any clients that just did that we're usually advising on many many changes so it's hard to say whether that change was what caused their um, their improvements I thought this was really cool that Uh, Barry Schwartz did an article on Bing's ranking factors and uh, Bing shared with uh, Barry some very interesting stuff most of which we've sort of postulated were things that Google measures. So the fact that these are in Bing's algorithms, they don't tell us that they're also in Google's algorithms uh, but they tell us that it's possible to measure these things and so I think we should be paying attention to this so uh, just like google's algorithms bing revealed that they're tightening the reins on recognizing and displaying sites that uh, possess proper expertise on a given topic Um, and so uh, i really think that february 7th 2017 is when google stepped up in uh, their efforts on EAT. Google's always wanted to uh, to show websites from people who have appropriate expertise, uh, but that was the date on which we saw a number of websites decline, and though even though they had what seemed like really good content, the content was written by people that didn't actually have expertise. And so Bing's confirming that Uh, they want to recognize where an article uh, requires expertise and whether it's been written by somebody with that expertise. Now, Bing did say, um, I don't think that they know whether individual authors have written it. Like, There's many factors that go into this that's hard to, to understand, but the point is that they want to rank articles that are written by people with expertise. Another thing that Bing said was that content quality and completeness are a ranking factor, and the example that they gave was if you're creating a content uh, content that displays articles in a paginated series, um, so that for example, it requires a reader to skip through like a whole bunch of slides or something or pages in order to get an answer, then that content's actually considered incomplete, and Bing doesn't want to rank content like that. Um, I'm just thinking now, you know that that's probably the case in Google as well because it's been a while since. I clicked on a result and had to either swipe through or click through you know, 15 different pages to get to the part that I was interested in. So uh, I would imagine that publishers who used to do that type of tactic are catching on that maybe that's not uh, going to work so well now. And and most of the time, I think when people did that type of thing before, it was for ad reasons uh, because each one of those swipes, you could show a new ad, <laughs> um, or you could show an ad, you know, after every three or four entries, something like that. Uh, and so I don't think that's something that Uh, is good practice, uh, even for Google as well. Let's see, Uh, Bing does not require that every article has an author displayed, but it's important that Bing understands whether the content was written by a person A corporate entity or something else so this kind of goes in line with what we've said about the quality raters guidelines on Google's side uh, that the quality raters are told to determine who wrote this content Um, and in some situations uh, for example if there's content on the website IBM.com it might not be important to know which author wrote it because uh, it represents the entity IBM and IBM has enough trust and, and brand recognition that uh, you know it should be fairly clear to algorithms that yeah, this is content that we can trust. So uh, there's a lot of stuff we don't know in regards to what we should be using for author bios. Our advice has always been to think of what the user wants to see. Um, and And I see it myself, too. You know, I was doing research on a, a medical topic recently, and i I remember coming across this one page going, "Well, I don't know who wrote this." And like, is this just because I know how stuff gets written on the web, right? A lot of it is content writers who have no real world expertise but are really good at doing research. And uh, in this particular example, I was looking for something that was written by a doctor who had seen this type of condition or at least, uh, you know, a company that I trusted (laughs) as opposed to just a random, here's a medical article by somebody you've never heard of. The other thing that was really, really interesting about this uh, interview with Bing is that negativity on a site is taken into consideration. And so if you're gonna publish any form of negativity, you need to have sources or references to back that up. Um, I don't know in how much detail that goes into, uh, and who knows if this is taking into account comments uh, or what, but it's something to pay attention to. If you're not sure if your content is too negative as compared to competitors, one thing that you can do is use uh, Google's natural language processing tool it's a little bit tricky to find. If you can't find it, just tweet at us, and we'll uh, we'll we'll help you find it. But a, a few searches should help you get there. And if you put text into this tool, there's a tab that you can use that actually tells you the sentiment, and it measures it, and it looks at certain words, and 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 I'm sure they're using BERT, who knows? But they they're looking at uh, the sentiment of pages. It's really really interesting if you use this on a site's comments. Um, And so if you have, you know, a product page and and you've got a thousand comments on this product page and you run that through a sentiment viewer and you see that like 90% of these comments have a negative sentiment, then maybe that's an indication that there's an issue with this product. It could just be that you have trolls. Uh, trolls love to leave comments and uh, you know that's a possibility but we should be paying attention to uh, uh, sentiment in some cases i don't think we should go crazy about it and you know uh, make major decisions based on like oh we've got a couple of negative words on this page but use your judgment and if you see that every page that's ranking really well for your main query is looking at things from a very positive light and your article is a negative light, there might be people who are looking for that negative information, but if Google is currently ranking or Bing is currently ranking uh, just sites that have a positive sentiment, then maybe you need to change if you want to rank there. So uh, that's really an interesting thing. Um, We have some stuff in newsletter as well about Apple. There are rumors that Apple is going to be launching a search engine. Um, there's changes in spotlight search on iOS, and, and there's a big uh, update to Applebot's support page, and there's a few other things that um, make the experts think that Apple is gearing up. Uh, apparently, Apple has hired a bunch of engineers that uh, are heavily involved in search, and so Apple is maybe going to be a competitor against Google. Uh, I think that's really interesting, and you know we'll keep an eye on this. It's something we have to pay attention to because, um with Bing competing against Google, um, my apologies to anybody who works for Bing. I mean, we know that Bing is le- less of a big player than, than Google is. Uh, but there's very few people, like there's not as many people that say, well Bing is my main search engine. I shouldn't say there's very few. There's a lot of people that use Bing as their main search engine. But with Apple, um, right now Apple uh, pays a lot of money to Google to be able to display Google search on their phones. And uh, if you have uh, an iPhone, then you know, it's very easy for you to get Google search. But when Apple has their own, uh, if they do have their own search engine, they're not gonna be paying this money to Google and that means like there's a whole heck of a lot of people that own iPhones or iPads or other Apple products Uh, and so if the I'm sure there will be ways where you can you know adjust your search engine and use the one that you want Uh, but a lot of people are gonna stick with the default and the default would be whatever Apple's search engine is so uh, this is interesting because you know through my career in SEO Really we've only paid attention to Google. I I've I've done some stuff with Bing and there are some sites that get really good rankings on Bing. Uh, There's some sites that for a while um, that was one of the indicators to determine if you'd been uh, uh, penalized by Google. And still, we do use that sometimes too. If you do a search uh, and you're like, oh, this page, I can't find it anywhere on Google search, but it's ranking like number one on Bing, then often that means that Google's detected that there's either unnatural links or you're breaking their guidelines somehow. So it can be a clue. Uh, but, you know, there has not been in my career uh, a, a major player competing against Google where we have, to, we have to pay attention to, you know, Apple updates as well as Google updates. So we're keeping a close eye on this because uh, it could mean a lot more work for a lot of SEOs, uh, which is a good thing or a bad thing, right? Um, It's a good thing if you make the money from uh, that extra work, right? And I know so many of us are trying right now. I know my heart goes out to so many of you who I keep seeing these stories of people who decided to go freelance just before the pandemic hit. Uh, and this is really hard. I'm hoping that most of you are, are doing well. I, I said this last week and I, I really do feel like business is opening up a fair bit uh, and we're having people that were holding off on deciding to do a site review uh, because they were waiting to see if their business was going to survive and what was going to happen to the economy. And now they're coming ahead and saying, you know what, I think we'll we'll go ahead with this. So uh, I think it's good. I think business is is starting to come around for a lot of SEO agencies. Let's finish off with um, a bit of a question, although it's a bit of a recap from a previous uh, episode, but I know a lot of people were interested in this, so I'll I'll cover it again. Um, Somebody was asking, I'm not gonna read out the whole question, but they were asking about things I had said in the past about copyright infringement, and what to do if somebody uh, has copied your website. I'll tell you, this is not my area of expertise, uh, but here are some things that, uh, that have worked for me in the past. So the first thing, if somebody has copied your content, reach out to the site owner and and say, like, hey, I don't know if you know, but this is exactly the same as what we have on our website. Because often what happens is uh, the business or the company that owns a website, they're gonna source out their articles um, from copywriters or from even employees. And while you may trust your employees to uh, always create unique and compelling content, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people who are meant to write unique content uh, end up plagiarizing other websites, because, uh, I mean, it it happens. Uh, And so you can reach out to the site owner and often they will say, okay, we'll take this down. Um, Another thing you could do too, I don't think I mentioned this last time, is uh, you could reach out to the site owner and say like, hey, I'm flattered that you want to publish my content, but could you put a canonical tag on this content pointing to my website? Um, And that could be a a term of use for your your content. And I think most of you know this, but some probably don't, that let's say I wrote an article and I published it on MarieHaynes.com, and then you came along and said, well, I want to republish that article. Um, And I said, yeah, you can do it as long as you place a canonical pointing back to my site. So let's say that happened. And let's say you have tons of social reach and the article got like really good attention on your website and people started linking to that article instead of mine. What the canonical tag does is uh, tell Google, hey, when anybody links to this content, the links should point to uh, MarieHaines.com and that's how a canonical tag works. Now, the tricky thing is, is Google doesn't always honor the canonical tag, and if, you, uh, you know, if the contents just changed somewhat or uh, for whatever reason, Google doesn't think that it's exactly the same, then that canonical may not work, but in some cases it does. So that's something you can do as well. The next step, if the content is like almost identical, you can file a DMCA request. And uh, this is all done automated as far as I know. And whenever I've done it in the past, it's come back uh, declined. And that's usually because um, when somebody's copied my content, it's just copied with slight changes so that a tool can't really determine that it's copied. Uh, And so I have not had DMCA requests work for me, but I have had clients that have had great success with that. Next step you could do is uh, actually reach out to the host So let's say the website that's copying your content is hosted on GoDaddy. Well, you can email GoDaddy and you can say, hey, this uh, particular site is copying my content uh, and here's my page, here's this page that's hosted on GoDaddy. And GoDaddy will often uh, shut the entire website down if they think that there's copyright infringement. So um, that's, uh, that's a good thing to know as well. And then the next thing is to just not worry about it. I'll tell you, if your content is copied, that's that's normal. Any big website, any website that publishes great content, it, it gets scraped, it gets republished on other sites. Now the thing to worry about is if that content starts outranking you. So let's say I wrote this fantastic article about Google penalties or something and uh, you uh, copied my article and published it on your website and for whatever reason uh, your article started to outrank mine. Well. You could say, well, I need to file a DMCA or I need to contact the host, I need to do whatever I can to get your content down so I can rank again. But when this happens, this is really serious because that means that Google is not recognizing that I'm the originator of this content or they think that my website is not high enough quality to rank well so if you are consistently finding scraper sites are outranking you it may be that there are quality issues on your site and google's not sure if they can trust you to rank well and i know whenever i say this people say well the scraper site is no more trustworthy than i am I think there's many different layers to how Google decides whether a site is trustworthy. I I say this trustworthy, but I think there's like if I had to guess, there's probably thousands of components that go together uh, for Google to determine whether they want to um, trust your website. And uh, if you're being outranked by scraper sites, this often means that there's quality issues on your side. That's all I have for Q&A this week. If you want to ask me a question about your website, something that I really love to do, and I'm surprised we haven't had more questions like this, is you can actually just submit your site. Uh, You can submit a question either by tweeting at MHC Inc on Twitter or by um, using the form on any of our newsletter pages. There's a link to a Google form that will submit a question for you. And uh, if you have images to attach, then use the Twitter uh, route. That's probably best. Um, but if you want to remain completely anonymous, there's a, a place in the form that will uh, to let you do that. So that may be the better way there. But you can submit uh, your site and say, "Hey, can you give me your thoughts on quality on this site or a particular page, or why is this?" Uh, competitor outranking me and I'd, I'd be happy to look at that. I can't Again, I can't guarantee you it and if I look at it and I don't really have an answer, it's probably not the best thing for me to talk about in podcast. Uh, but feel free to, uh, to uh, submit a question to have my opinion on um, why a certain page is outranking you because that's what we love to do. We try to figure out uh, why is it that Google likes this more than this and and often that in me doing that, It gives me clues as to what it is that Google seems to reward, and then we can help all of our clients. So I'm doing this for completely selfish reasons. Please send me your uh, low-quality pages. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Send me your stuff, and I'll review it. Not for selfish reasons. I want to help you guys. So I'm going to leave it here. Thank you so much for, uh, for listening, and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings.